Because what I want to hopefully convey to you this morning is that the gospel is far-reaching. We think sometimes in terms of the gospel being a formula. And, and in some respects, that's true. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talking about the gospel uh, speaks of the fact that the gospel is represented in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And through simple faith in that, we are born again. New creations in Christ. And so in some respects, the gospel is indeed a formula centered in a person, Jesus Christ. But the gospel, in truth, extends so much farther beyond that simple formula. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young had a song back in the 60s, 70s called Teach Your Children. Anybody remember that song? Okay, so I'm going to test your uh, lyrical uh, recall. What was the first line of that song? Nope, that's the title. You who are on the road must have a code that you can live by. And it's a true, true lyric. Everyone has a code that they live by. Something that guides or directs our lives. And it's based upon something. Perhaps it's based upon the, the latest uh, headline in the, the global news daily or whatever. You know, it could be as, as simple as that. But everybody has a code that they live by. Perhaps it's science. Perhaps it's some kind of philosophical um, undergirding. But ultimately, there's a code that you live by. Now, what I want to suggest to you this morning is that as Christians, our code that should guide and direct our lives is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, as I said in my title, is panoramic. Gospel means good news. And I read in the uh, call to worship out of the Gospel of Mark, where it said the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, as he began his ministry there in, in verse 14 and 15, said, the time has come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand or is near. Repent and believe the Gospel. So Jesus' message from the very outset associated the gospel with the kingdom of God, the reign and the rule of God. And so as we go through over the course of the next several weeks, moving towards Easter, this study of the gospel, I want you to begin to think about the gospel in very panoramic terms. Jason, would you project? This is a definition that I have written that... Um, you will all have to commit to memory by next Sunday. <laughs> no, because actually it's two slides. And in fact, I don't even have it memorized, even though I wrote it. But this is my definition of the gospel moving forward in this study. It is God's plan formed prior to the creation 
very important, formed prior to the creation for redeeming fallen man and the surrounding creation, eradicating rebellion, sin, and death, revealing his glory to his creation, man, and ultimately and eternally restoring his perfect rule to his creation, mankind, by grace, through faith, in the revelation of his love in his son Jesus Christ. Christ's sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit so that intimate fellowship between God and his creation, mankind, will endure. Now, again, that's a mouthful, and I was joking about memorizing it because it would take a little bit. There's a lot encompassed in that, isn't there? It's much more than a formula. It it began before the creation in the mind of God. It says in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain before the creation of the world. So Jesus, in the mind of God, had been slain before creation was ever spoken into existence. God had it in his mind how he would redeem mankind because, of course, God knew didn't he? God is uh, omniscient. He knows all things. So God knew that in creating man and in giving mankind free will, that mankind would rebel. That Adam and Eve in the garden, when they were given the choice of either obeying God, not eating, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or heeding the deception of the serpent and eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when they made that choice, sin entered into the world. God knew that was going to happen. So why did God allow that? Why did God allow sin? Because we have seen, have we not, the impact of sin in the world. Most of us, I would suggest, in fact, all of us, have personally been impacted by the devastating effect of sin. Why did God allow that? Well, there's multiple reasons, but I'm going to try to sift it down into two very critical ones. First, God wanted a relationship with mankind, his greatest creation, by the way, created in his image. God wanted a relationship with mankind that was based upon love. Now, God could have had a relationship uh, with us just as he had with the angels, which was based upon power and glory. When Satan first Lucifer, fell from his position. There was no chance for repentance. There was no opportunity for grace because the relationship with the angels is different than the relationship with mankind. The relationship with the angels is based upon power and glory. But the relationship he has with you and with me, he wanted that to be based upon love and there had to be a free will choice within that. So God gave 
Adam and Eve a truly free will, the true opportunity to choose. And that remains a part of our existence today. We each morning as we rise have the opportunity to choose life, to choose God, and to live a life that reflects a love for God because he has given us a truly free will. So that's one reason why he allowed this to happen. Secondly, and this is more difficult for people to swallow, so you might have to chew on this one a bit. But God allowed sin to enter into mankind's experience because the existence of, the presence of sin is necessary to fully reveal the glory of God. Now, again, chew on that one for a while. Don't just swallow it right away. But the presence of sin ultimately served to more fully reveal the glory of God. For without sin, without man's rebellion, there is no mercy of God. Without sin, without man's rebellion, without the death that sin brought about, there would be no demonstration of the eternal and the deep love of God. Because Jesus himself said, greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friend. Had death not entered in, that demonstration of love would have never existed. So God knew there would be sin, but he formed this plan, this gospel, this good news before that ever occurred. So God was not surprised by Adam and Eve's decision. God is not surprised by anything that we do. God is always previous. God is always in front. So in forming this gospel, this plan, beginning before creation, God saw the fall of man. God knew the cross would be a part of the redemption of that relationship, but not just the relationship with mankind. And we're going to be exploring this. The gospel restores fallen creation. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't just their progeny, their descendants that were impacted. It was the entire creation that was impacted by their sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the whole of creation groans awaiting the revealing of the sons of God, looking forward to the redemption of the creation. So God is going to redeem creation as well in the gospel. So we look around at the beautiful world that we live in, and we think, oh my gosh, how fortunate we are to live where we do. But the fact is that there is a new heaven and a new earth that is going to be 
fashioned by God, that will be redeemed through the gospel of Jesus Christ, just as you and I have been redeemed. God is going to redeem the creation. And it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. And this will be the place that in eternity you and I dwell. We think sometimes in terms of that image of heaven being our eternal destiny and sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Do you have that image sometimes? I mean, we've all seen it, haven't we? And we think, oh my gosh, is that really all there is for eternity? No, it's going to be so amazing. A new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells, full of the glory of God, full of opportunity for God to continually reveal His infinite grace to us, full of opportunity for you in your new body, the resurrected body that is perfectly suited for the new heaven and the new earth to carry out God's will. What kind of adventures await us? I have no idea, but I know this. It's going to be glorious because the glorious God has fashioned it. But it won't be tainted by sin. It won't be tainted by rebellion. It won't be tainted by death. All of the old things will have passed away. It says in Isaiah 25 and 26 that the new creation will have with it no tears, no sorrow, no mourning. All of it will be joy, righteousness, and peace in the Holy Spirit. How many of you have experienced grief? How many of you have experienced mourning? How many of you have experienced death and loss? Sure you have. Everyone here this, this morning has. Some of us have experienced much more painfully. But it's there. But in the new heaven and the new earth, where we dwell in the the presence of God, because in the new heaven and the new earth, situated out of the new Jerusalem, will be the very presence of God, who will illuminate by His presence all things. There will be no night, because God will be there. So this is what we look forward to. It all began prior to creation, and it is going to culminate, if that is even the right word, because really in eternity, nothing culminates. In eternity, it is ever moving, ever motioning forward. Because God is infinite. And if he is going to be revealing to us his infinite grace in the ages to come, as it says in Ephesians 3, then it never ends. It only gets better. You you know how... When you're climbing up a mountain, I remember a couple years ago, I was hiking the East Maroon Trail uh, coming from Snowmass to uh, Crested Butte. And I was getting tuckered out because we had just come over on the West Maroon Trail the day before. And I remember as we were ascending, thinking, oh, we're almost there. Yeah, there's the, there's the peak. And then I would get to it and it would still be more. 
And I think, okay, walk up to that. You get the picture. It was just a false ascent after a false ascent. Well, that's sort of how eternity with God is. Just when we think we've seen the best of his glory, something new is revealed. Something more unimaginable and wonderful is given to us to work on, to deal with, to pursue to his glory. So this gospel that we're talking about, this gospel drama, goes from eternity through eternity. And it's all centered in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the central character of this gospel drama. Now, all three people in the the Trinity have a role to play. Obviously, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus said, it's better for you if I go back to the Father because if I go, then I can send the Holy Spirit to you. So the whole Trinity is involved in the gospel. But the central character, the one that you and I connect with the most, is Jesus Christ because he became flesh. And this is, this is really where I want you to walk away with this truth in your heart this morning. This is, for me, and since I'm sharing with you, I want to share from my perspective the, the glorious part of this gospel. The glorious part of this gospel that touches my heart, that moves me to tears frequent, frequently when I contemplate it, when I meditate upon it, is the fact that the second person in the Trinity, the second person in the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who was in the beginning, the Word, who was as the Word with God, and who was as the Word, God. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and of truth. He became like us. As I said, the gospel is really about a person. It's not about a formula. And when you think about God becoming like us, deciding to walk the same earth, deciding to experience the same emotions, the same struggles. He was a man of sorrow, well acquainted with grief. When you understand that the gospel involves the Son, the Word, becoming just like us and dying on a cross for us so that we could, throughout the ages, be with Him face to face in an enduring, loving relationship. Wow. That, my friends why it's called good news. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be exploring this good news. We're going to be looking into 
the depths of the gospel. And so I hope that it will be something that you look forward to as we move into Easter, as we move into really the greatest of the Christian holidays, the resurrection of the Son. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him our wounds have been healed. We thank you that in him our sins have been removed. We thank you that in him righteousness has been restored to us. Lord, we never graduate from the gospel. As long as we live, our identity is found solely in Jesus Christ and in his death, burial, and resurrection. There's no place else for us to go. So I pray for each and every soul here this morning, those hearing my voice on the radio. Lord, I pray that our lives, as they were intended to be, would be transformed in this good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.